It's good to see all of you and to be to be uh, the opportunity to step in for this week while Jay is up in Tehachapi. Uh, he's going to be preaching this morning up at uh, in Tehachapi uh, for the church there. And uh, and so anyway, it's an honor to be able to to share and go through this uh, lesson with you. So let's let's open in prayer, and then we'll uh, we'll get going. Heavenly Father, thank you for this day that you have blessed us with, that you have given us to to come and assemble as your church as your body to uh, worship you, to hear your word. Uh, thank you for the lesson that's before us today and, and the knowability of you. Thank you for revealing yourself to us. Uh, thank you for giving us your word and your truth. And we would pray to, this morning for Jay and Juliana as they he- head up the mountain to go preach in, t- in Tehachapi, that you would be with Jay as he presents the gospel and as he uh, shares from your word. And I pray that those that, are there, those that are there will be able to listen and to hear what he has to say. I pray that those uh, that might be unsaved or uh, have never heard the gospel, that they would hear it and that their lives uh, would be changed, that they would come to faith. Uh, we thank you so much for this day and all that you've given us. We look forward to the, the, to the gathering together in just a few minutes to, to worship with all the rest of our brothers and sisters here. And we thank you uh, for all that you've given us through Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Well, I hope, hopefully you'll have your slides in front of you. And uh, I will try to stick to them. Uh, and we'll, we'll have some also time to read in God's Word as well. Uh, this, this lesson, I believe, is Module 1, Session 7 uh, in Systematic Theology. And it's the existence and knowability of God. And so we're going to have a, uh, a good time going through some old philosophical arguments and we're going to find that philosophy doesn't save the soul. And we'll see why in, as we go through uh, the lessons today. So the first, step we're going to, the first thing we're going to talk about is the incomprehensibility of God. Um, and the definition here is uh, from Wayne Grudem. Because God is infinite and humans are finite, human beings can never fully understand God. And this is a, a position of humility, uh, of course, uh, no one can come to God in pride. No one can come to God and say, well, I understand God. I'm going to let you know about him. It's the reverse. God reveals himself to us. And so because he reveals himself to us, we're able to know him or know about him. The second point here is God is, being, uh, God is a being who exists in eternity. And he's free from all limitations of time and space. And in his being or in his essence, he is different from us or from anything else in the created order and therefore is fundamentally unknowable. And that's a a quote from Bray, The Doctrine of God, page 110. Also, the incomprehensibility of God assumes that God is knowable uh, in the fact that He's revealed Himself to us. So what He has revealed... Press down to go. Perfect, thank you. Thank you, Jimmy. see if I can make this work. It's on. Press down. I'm pressing. Now it's well. I'll keep going here. It assumes that God is knowable, and what we know about about, about what God is. I'm sorry. What we know about God is what He's revealed to us. And my, my comment here is what he has revealed, he has promised, is enough to know him. The one blessing that I, I love is John seventeen three, And eternal life is knowing him and the Father. And so he's promised us that what he's given us is sufficient. 
It's enough for us to know Him and to, most importantly, have eternal life. Is that working now? Thank you. So that is the incomprehensibility of God. Pointed at the machine. At the machine. Thank you. So some of the biblical basis, Psalms 145.3, His greatness is unsearchable. Isaiah 40.28, there is no limit to His understanding. Romans 11.34, who has known the mind of the Lord? We can never fully understand any single thing about God. However, we can know something. We can know God partially, but truly. The incomprehensibility is the inability to know God unless He reveals Himself. And we must humbly approach God this way. We can't grasp Him a part of what He reveals to us. And He reveals Himself through creation and through His Word, and so we have that. And again, I always, I always like to say, it is enough what He's given us to know Him. What He's provided us in creation, what He's provided us in His Word, how He's talked to us, uh, and how He's uh, revealed Himself to us, it's enough for salvation. He's got some slick uh, uh, boarding here. I didn't know that that was going to be so in- intense. So God... God can reveal Himself, but man cannot completely understand God. So there's a little graphic of this shown to us. So now we're going to get into some traditional, some traditional proofs of God. I'm going to get a couple ahead uh, of myself here. Traditional proofs for God. The background of the proofs. The proofs for the existence of God have been constructed by philosophers and theologians at various times in history to persuade people that it is not rational to reject God's existence. So these arguments are going to say, they all lead us to this point of, there's definitely something that created it, there's something that has caused these things, and, but some have said, well, we don't really know what it is. Of course, the Christian calls, calls him God, calls him Yahweh. Uh, the rational arguments for God in a Christian perspective were first systematized by Thomas Aquinas, and that is in 1226 to 1274. So, Here's some of the content of those proofs. And we're going to start with the cosmological argument. And this argues from cause and effect. The cosmological argument says, everything around us is capable of non-existence. Everything must have a cause, a sufficient reason for its existence. And then we we go back to the, we regress to the first cause. All things must have had an origin. So then where did it come from? And since God is the first cause the cosmological argument rests with him. It does not implicitly implicitly argue for the existence of God, but it does argue for a first cause. That is a person. And of course, we hold it to the God of the Bible. I wanted to read a passage from uh, Acts 17. And this is when Paul is is preaching uh, to the Aragopagus. And he answers this question. He goes before the philosophers, philosophers of the day and he answers this question. And the passage is Acts chapter 17, 22 through 34. And I'm just going to highlight a few of the, the things about God that we see that Paul argues for. So verse 22, Then Paul stood in the midst of the Aragopagus and said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in all things you were very religious. For as I was passing through and considering the objects of your worship, I even found an altar with this inscription to the unknown God. Therefore, the one whom you worship without knowing him, I proclaim to you. 
God who made the world and everything in it, since he is the Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands, nor is he worshipped with men's hands as though he needed anything, since he gives to all life, breath, and all things. And he has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on the face of the earth, and he has determined their pre-apportioned times and the boundaries of their dwellings, so that they should seek the Lord in the hope that they might grope for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, as also some of your own poets have said, for we are also his offspring. Therefore, since we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone, something shaped by art and man's devising. Truly, these times of ignorance God overlooked, but now commands all men everywhere to repent, because he has appointed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he has ordained. He has given assurance of this to all by raising him from the dead. And when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked, while others said, We will hear you again on this matter. So Paul departed from the, among them. However, some men joined him and believed. Among them were Dionysus and Aragopagite, a woman named Demarius, and others with them. So Paul refutes the, the wisdom of this world at the time here. God doesn't live in temples. God made everything. He doesn't require man to sustain him. He gave life to everything. From one man, he created all men. And God did this so that you might grope for him, so that you might find him, I understand him. But then Paul goes in the last part of this passage and he goes right to the gospel. He's commanding people to repent. It's not enough to be wise. It's not enough to be smart and try to understand things. What's important is, do you know the one true God? And he commands repentance. And so uh, that was kind of a corollary to you know, the cosmological argument. God has defended himself through his word and through his preachers. Um, but God is self-sustaining. He doesn't need anything. And so he's the cause of all. Then we have a second argument, teleological argument. And this, sense, uh, this is a sense of intelligence, design, purpose in the universe, goal or the end. Uh, the, again, this is another argument that you would use to try to describe for God uh, what's going on. There must be a designer, right? There's so many things to look at that are so, so uh, technologically advanced, right? There has to be designer because there's order. But we also, we also see in the tele, teleological, I'm going to mess that word up over and over, teleological argument, it's irreducible complexity. We think of the eye. There are parts in the eye that you have to have at the same time to make the eye work. I also like to think of, of a blood clot. Right? Your blood clots at the moment that you have a cut. It doesn't clot inside of your, your veins. If it does, you uh, have a serious health issue. But there are elements of structure that have to happen at the same time to function. And so it could not have evolved. Elements of the human eye could not have progressed. It had to come about at once to function. And so if that's the truth, if there is, ir- if there is irreducible uh, complexity, then you have to have a designer that put it in place. And because, of, because there's a designer, that person, we would call that person God. And so when we think of the pocket watch argument from William Paley, if you encountered without knowing uh, what a watch was and you looked at it, your logical conclusion would be someone designed it, right? So these are these, are these, art, these, are, these uh, arguments about philosophically about, well, I can kind of show that there has to be designer. I can kind of show that someone caused things. Uh, but the problem here is that we have some weaknesses. And uh, why, does a, why does the designer have to be God? Right? Why does it have to be the God of the Bible? 
And another, another weakness, is a weakness that we have is making the jump from theism to Christianity is difficult. So just because you would think that there is a God doesn't bring you to the point of knowing Christ. You wouldn't, get, you wouldn't look at the universe and say, okay, well, there's definitely a sun, there's definitely trinity, there's definitely complete order, and there's a, some sort of an apocalyptic event coming in the future. You, you wouldn't get that response from looking into the universe. You would, you would see that there's order and there's creation and there's beauty, but you wouldn't necessarily have the gospel and all of those things. The next, the next uh, argument would be anthropological, and this is a moral argument. And again, morals had to come from somewhere. So the statement of proof here is that all beings have an innate uh, sense of right and wrong, a sense of justice. And this sense, this sense has to come from a lawgiver, a supreme moral being, and then this lawgiver must be God. So we, we as believers, we can, make this, we can make this connection and we can, we can continue down this path. We come to the, the result of God of the Bible. But if you are an atheist, you would just simply say, well, it doesn't make any sense to, to kill a woman because they have great utility and great use as a wife or as a mother or as a helpmate. Right? So you would make these arguments that an atheist would say, and I've, I've talked to an atheist, they would say, well, just because the car is there doesn't mean I, and it's going to all go to waste doesn't mean I shouldn't use it while it's here. And I'm just like, well... That, that's a great argument from Nowheresville because what you're saying is, is, is that there's a moral reason that we keep things. Well, where does that morality come from? Well, their argument would be circular. It would be, well, it doesn't mean you have to destroy something. You can make use of it while you have time. So, you, again, you, you get in a circular loop with smart people that want to argue these, these philo- philo- uh, philosophies. So there's strengths, there's strengths and weaknesses to these. But generally speaking, uh, you're going to get into a circular argument and it's not going to lead... Um, to, the, to the end result, which is, are they going to believe in the gospel, the God, the God of our Bible? So a strength of the moral argument is that there's self-sacrifice for the common good, but morality doesn't make any sense in evolution. You should use what you can to make yourself stronger. You should take, care, take out the weak so that you can become, become stronger and that there's less, there's less uh, diversion, right? Uh, the other weakness of the, of the moral argument is that there are new values adopted every year or every generation. So what we believe today was not what they believed 500 years ago. And so what, you're, what you basically have is a moving target if you go down the road uh, of the anthropological um, uh, argument against, uh, for God. It, uh, it attempts, the other weakness is that it attempts to explain morality from an evolutionary point of view. And so you can take shots. Uh, you can take shots. What is right or wrong changes over time. And in our generation, I can guarantee that we all see that what is right and wrong has drastically changed, even from a few years ago. So the last, another argument that we have, or the last argument that we're going, to, we're going to talk about today is the ontological argument. And this was formulated by Anselm of Canterbury in the 11th century. And uh, it is a ra- rational or a priori, not empirical. So a priori is, starts from, a certain, from certain presuppositions. And so all, all humans have a concept of greatness, a greatest conceivable being. And so, uh, you know, what are, what are all the ways that we call God in, this, in our world, right? There's all kinds of religions, and they all call God something, something different. So you're not going to necessarily get to the God of the Bible um, if you head down this road of, of, of trying to say, well, we're, everybody believes in the greatest being. Well, that doesn't mean that they believe in the God of the Bible. So when we evaluate these proofs, what we understand is that no one will come, no one will come to faith. Let's see if I can do this. No one will come to faith in Christ because of these arguments. 
But they, they do demonstrate that the existence of God is the most logical belief. Uh, from Wayne Grudem, they show, they show that theistic belief is not irrational. Uh, Wayne Grudem says, They are valid in that they, are correctly, they correctly evaluate the evidence and correctly reason to a true conclusion. In fact, the universe does have God as its cause, and it does show evidence of purposeful design. The actual facts referred to in these proofs, therefore, are true, and in a sense, they are proved, the proofs are valid. But in another sense, if valid means able to compel our agreement, even from those who begin with the false assumptions, then of course none of these proofs is valid, because none of them is able to compel agreement from everyone who considers them. So if you're going to go to a person and you're going to argue from one of these arguments, they are, they're going to eventually come to a rational thought that there has to be something bigger. But it doesn't mean that they're going to lead them to Christ. But I, I have a, gr- a great example of how this all works in our lives. For the believer, how have we come to, how have we come to, to know the Father? We have all come through Christ. We have all come through understanding that we have sin. We've all come through uh, the, the truth of the God of the Bible as the creator. And so if we were to hear the testimony of all of us, we would all say we were sinners. God revealed himself to us. He, uh, he, he showed that he was holy and that I needed a savior. And I repented of my sins and I turned to him. And that would be our common agreement about what God has revealed to us. But if you were to go down the road of philosophy, everybody would say, well, of course there's a a great God. Of course there's a a, a creator. But they wouldn't necessarily come to the point of knowing that they need to know Christ. So that's, that's what we have to understand about these arguments. They're great for arguments. They're great for helping us to lead us to a point. But as Paul showed, he went right from arguing the existence of God to telling them about his son and telling them that they needed to repent. And so that's the gospel. That's the thing that makes the difference. So rational arguments can tend to minimize the seriousness of sin in the heart and in the mind of mankind. Yes, there's a God, but you know, not everything is perfect. Not everything is right. I mean, think about it. Your God is perfect, but yet people still die. Your God obviously doesn't have power, right? These are all arguments that they'll come with in their circular reasoning. However, if they're used properly, if these arguments are used properly, it could imply that God's revelation of himself is not sufficient, right? You didn't show me enough of yourself, God. It's obvious that your God's not powerful enough. And yet, that's just foolishness. But yet, that's the argument that you'll come through. They have Moses and the prophets. This is what Jesus said. They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rise from the dead. Evidence of God is everywhere. It's just, does the mind, is the mind enlightened by the Holy Spirit, regenerated by the Holy Spirit, to see that, and then to give proper worship to the God of, uh, the, God of the God of the Bible, the God of creation? Ultimately, the Christian must reason from Scripture. This is a point here. Ultimately, the Christian must reason, reason from Scripture, not to it. We don't look at creation and say, yep, so that's true, and now I'm going to go find it in the Scripture. No, we take Scripture and say, this is what God has revealed about Himself. Now I accept it as truth. He is the Creator. It is six days. He did rest on the seventh. There's no other explanation other than to accept what God has already spoken and what he's told us. Let me see what, if this quote is here. John R.W. Stott. In evangelism, then, we, need to, we shall need to recognize that when men, that the men to whom we preach have minds. We shall not ask them to stifle their minds, but to open them. And in particular, to open them to receive a divine illumination in order to understand the divine revelation. We shall not seek to murder their intellect, since it was given to them by God, but neither shall we flatter it, since it is finite and fallen. 
We shall endeavor to reason with them, but only from revelation, the while admitting our need and theirs for the enlightenment of the Holy Spirit. And what is this revelation? That God is holy, that man has sinned, and that man needs a Savior. That's the, that's the gospel. And on top of that, our God resurrected himself from the dead. And he lives forevermore. So uh, we, we attempt to persuade men by giving them the gospel, by giving them the truth of God's word. Not trying to argue from outside of the scripture, but to argue with the scripture and from scripture. Now we're going to get in some, some maybe a little bit more simple topics to get into. General revelation of God. The general revelation is the disclosure of God in nature and in, the, and in the constitution of man, whereby all people gain an introductory knowledge of God. God has made himself known. And so uh, we're going to see that very simply. If you have your Bibles, turn over to Romans chapter 1. And we're going to read some great verses here. If you're ever wanting to, to bring up man's condition... Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 21. It will define the gospel uh, in, in a, in, in the, uh, with the, uh, the boundaries of who made this and why can't men come to these conclusions that there is a God. Romans chapter 1, verse 18 through 21. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. Because what, they may, what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because although they, did, although they, although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. There are two major important pieces in this Romans chapter 1 argument here. All people everywhere receive an elementary knowledge of God. Everyone is responsible for the knowledge of God that has been given to them. That's that's found in verse 20. They're without excuse. You wonder what will happen on the day of judgment to those that haven't heard the gospel? that's, that's, not, that's not the concern here. They're without excuse. Why, why are they having a hard time? Why didn't they come to faith in Christ? Uh, verse 18 says, they suppress the truth in unrighteousness. So God has revealed himself, and then they say, I don't want to believe that. And then they want to say, well, well God, would, God is clearly shown. I can see his attributes. I can see who he is, but uh, I still don't want to believe. Well, Paul says they're without excuse. Very, very strong language here. Though man knows God, he chooses not to be thankful or worship. And man's sinful heart suppresses the truth. And the result is God is angry with man, man is without excuse, and God is just in his anger. God has revealed himself. He has shown, he has shown them that, they, that they, need, uh, they need salvation. They need uh, a change of heart. And they suppress that, reject it, and they are not thankful for what God has done. That is the, uh, the idea of an unbeliever. What is the impact on the believer? From Psalm, we're going to turn over now to Psalm 19, 1 through 6. So if you have, if you have your Bibles, please turn over there. What is the impact of general re- revelation to the believer? Verse 1. I'm reading out of the New King James, by the way, if it sounds a little bit uh, different. The, the heavens declare the glory of God. 
and the firmament shows his handiwork. Day unto day utters speech, and night unto night reveals knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Their line has gone out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tabernacle for the sun, which is like the bridegroom coming out of his chamber, and rejoices like a strong man to run its race. Its rising is from one end of the heaven, and its circuit to the other end, and there is nothing hidden from its heat. So the impact on the believer is the general revelation of God is everywhere. It's continuous. It is every day, every night, every morning, God's revelation is there. Everyone can see it. The sun comes up, the sun goes down. To the believer, we say, God has been faithful. Look at God. Look at God's order. Look at God's beauty. It is ubiquitous. Uh, That's a word for omnipresent, verses 4 through 6. Everyone sees it. The Psalm, the Psalm, Psalm 19 says, everyone, everyone sees this every day. It's, it's seen by all. Everyone gets to see it. So God is not hiding himself. God is revealing himself. Every morning he reveals himself. And for the believer, it results in praise to, the, to God, the creator. You and I wake up and say, thank you, Lord, for this morning. Thank you, Lord, for this day. Thank you for what you've given me. Those are all responses from a believer. However... Special revelation is necessary for salvation to occur. And that special revelation is found in verse 7. It says, The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold. Yeah, than, than, yes, than much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey in the honeycomb. Moreover, by them your servant is warned, and in keeping them there is great reward. So David also turns to the benefits of knowing God as Savior, as Lord, as God being able to know that we have, a, we, have, we have a firm foundation, that we have understanding, we're enlightened, we, we, are, we, have, we rejoice that we know the Father and we know His Son. So that's the blessing for the believer. The revelation of God in man's constitution is found in Romans chapter 2, 14 through 15. And this is doing the law from the conscience. Uh, verse 14, For when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do what the law requires... They are, they are a law to themselves, even though they do not have the law. Remember in Romans chapter 2, we have Jew versus Greek. And the Jewish, the Jewish community has been delivered the oracles of God. They've been delivered the law of God. Moses on the mountain delivered the law. They carried the law with them throughout, on their travels. They heard directly from God. But the Gentiles, how did they hear from God? Well, Paul is answering that. They, they do the law by the nature, by the constitution of themselves. They know that murdering is wrong. They know that stealing is wrong. And so they have that witness within them. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts, verse 15, while their conscience also bears witness and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them. So there is a, there's a wrestling going on into the one who hasn't necessarily received the law of God. And that wrestling is, is they know they've violated something and they know that that violation has, has caused pain or caused hurt. Pagan non-Jews showed, their act- showed by their actions that they generally knew the difference between right and wrong. The basic knowledge of right and wrong is uh, they did instinctively what the law required. I.e., instinctively, they did not approve of murder even when the law of Moses was not present. <clears throat> and even though they had never seen the scriptures, their morality demonstrated what God had, that God had placed his law of right and wrong in their hearts. 
their conscience operated on the basis of, the, of this inner law, and their conscience either approved their doing right or accused them when they did wrong. So why is this called general revelation? It's universally available to all, and this knowledge is introductory. So it is general. It is not, again, it's not specific. It is introductory knowledge. It simply shows that God, there is a God and that He exists because all of these things were here long before you. It does not reveal the Trinity. It does not reveal the Messiah. And it does not reveal the cross. It demonstrates that God exists as my creator and judge. Science will not lead you to the gospel. And faith comes because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. The impact of general revelation is that God exists as my creator and my judge, so I am left without excuse. God is made known to mankind, so the human race is accountable to God. And general, general revelation causes worship for the, for the believer and tells of the existence of God to the unbeliever. Now we're going to get into special revelation. Here's a definition. Let me see if it's up here. This is Pettigrew's. I have a different first definition before Pettigrew's. Millard Erickson. By special revelation, we mean God's manifestation of himself to particular persons at definite times and places, enabling those persons to enter into redemptive relationship with him. That's why I read Acts chapter 17, because there is language there that is being given that says that you might grope for God, that you might know him. God determined where you would be, when you would live, so that you might grope for him. (laughs) From Larry Pettigrew, special revelation is God's personal disclosure of himself to us through the living and written word so that we might come to know him in salvation and glorify him through our lives. We hear and read his word and his truth is revealed to us. That is an amazing, amazing thing. And it's uh, found, uh, regeneration of the Holy Spirit, found in Titus chapter 3, verse 5. You can write that as a, as a reference there. So we hear His Word, we read His Word, and we understand His Word because He has opened our hearts and our minds to understand. The personal nature of special revelation. He tells us His name. We know the name of God. Certainly the ones that He's told us that we can, that we can know. All right, all right. Don't press the bottom button. He enters into personal relationship with us. We, we have knowledge of his covenants. We have knowledge of his, his plan for us. We have knowledge of what he wants us to do with our lives. Uh, we know that because he has revealed it in his word. And he makes himself known to us in ways that we can grasp and understand. This is extremely wonderful because all of us would have a different, maybe a different way that we came to Christ. But in, in the end, we come to Christ. We come to the Father through Christ. And so I, I, I loved Addie's, um, I loved Addie's, Addie Board's testimony this last week during her baptism. Because at 11, 11 or 12 years old as well, I had also realized that I was going to hell unless I had a Savior. And I realized that I needed to confess my sin and that I needed to repent of my sin. And that was, that was my conversion. That was how I came to know, well, I need to change what I'm doing and, and come to Christ. And yet, that's how God makes it, makes it real and personal for each one of us. And so, that was just a reminder of uh, many years ago when I came to faith. And it was because of the same thing. My God showed me what I needed to know to turn to Him. 
Let's see here. He is made in the likeness of sinful flesh. So he identified fully with Christ. He became a man so that we would understand that he has been in our place. He has, been, he has walked like we've walked. But also note, let's see if this comes here. Nope. Uh, but also note that when we say special revelation is personal, we don't, need, we don't mean that the message about God is somehow subjective or based on a mystical relationship. Our saving knowledge of God is based on propositional truth. And I love that word. I said, Jay, how do you want me to explain that to, to the folks? Propositional. And I'll, I said, it, I said, well, how about I just give him a simple answer and then I have a long, a long one that he gave me just in case you guys want to cross-examine me. But you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. You believe that God is the Creator. You believe that you need a Savior and you, that you're a sinner. Those all came because you accepted what God has, what God has said about you. And so the truth is, is uh, we accept what God says is truth, even if we don't necessarily know how to, to, to understand it all, all completely. And Jay can do a better job of explaining that next week if you ask him. Um, types of special revelation. The living word, Jesus Christ. He is, the, he is the pinnacle of special revelation. If you think in your mind, you're thinking, what, what scriptures do I know support Jesus as the pinnacle of special revelation? Well, complete revelation in Colossians 2.9 in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily so when they asked him you know, have you seen the father he says well you've seen me and if you've seen me you've seen the father I am the express image of the father and Christ tells us that he is so and Christ also reveals to us what's needed and this is a, a massive blessing he is our example of God the father in his word and his truth in his life we can see the father through Christ the written word. He's given us his word. Hebrews 1, chapter, chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom all, also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Divine speech, the written word, thus saith the Lord. I, I, I was driving on a couple nights ago and I was listening to uh, 91.3 uh, Family Radio and John MacArthur's sermon on insp- in inspired word was on the inspired text of the scriptures. And he was just simply saying that none of the apostles, none of the writers of the, of the scriptures ever quite tried to qualify that it wasn't God's word. They never said, well, I'm, I'm just a regular guy that's a fisherman. I'm just a regular guy that grew up in, in, in this place in the Middle East. And so I want you to try to believe what I have to say about God. This is what God told me to tell you. That never happens in scripture. They always come out and say, this is what God has said. This is the word of God. I think John uh, MacArthur had said there was over 4,000 times where, it, where the scripture is referred to as the word of God. But what we, we have, we have scripture from him. We have truth from him. And so we have what God has wanted to tell us. He has told us through his word. Uh, Philip, Philip said uh, in John chapter 14, verse 8 through 9, Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. And Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long, and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? 
So Philip had the same question. Who is, this, who is the Father? Show us. And Jesus said, you have me. Thomas, Thomas in the, the Gospel of John, Thomas wanted to see Christ. He wanted to see Him. And what, did, what was Jesus' response to him? Blessed are those who believe and yet haven't seen. And so we have His Word and we have His truth that God has revealed to us. God also speaks through dreams and visions. Genesis 28, 10-17 is as a reference for that. He speaks to us through theophanies and Christophanies. And we have a number of those. Uh, Pastor Steve did a, uh, a sermon series on Angel of the Lord. So all throughout Scripture, we have a, a demonstration that Christ is, is still working, that the Lord Jesus, pre-incarnate Jesus, is working throughout history for His people to bring about uh, His coming and to bring about... Uh, uh, the coming uh, of, the, of Christ, of Himself. Making, making the Israel, Israelites get to where they need to go. That's what we find in Scripture. We have internal thoughts to, uh, the internal thoughts to prophets and apostles. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, 6-13. through 13. Give me just a moment. 1 Corinthians 2, 6-13. However, we speak wisdom among those who are mature. Got the right passage, yep. Yet not the wisdom of this age, nor the rulers of this age, who are coming to nothing. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the ages for our glory, which none of the rulers of this age knew. For had they known, they would have not crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, eye has not seen, nor ear heard, nor has entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. But God has revealed them to us through his, his Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. For what man knows the things of the man except the Spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, no one knows the things of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might know the things which have been freely given to us by God. These things we also speak, not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. So we have been, it has been revealed to us by the Spirit of God within us what, what He wants us to hear, what God wants us to hear. We also have Acts of Angels, uh, Daniel 9, 20 through 27. We have examples of, of angels bringing messages from God. And this was when Daniel was praying and the angel brought him the answer of what was going to happen. Daniel chapter 9, verses 20 through 27. Now while I was speaking, praying and confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel, and presenting my supplications before the Lord, my God, for the holy mountain of my God, Yes, while I was speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision at the beginning, being caused to fly swiftly, reached me about the time of the evening offering. And he informed me then, talked to me, and said, O Daniel, I have now come forth to give you the skill to understand. At the beginning of your supplications, the command went out, and I have come to tell you, for you are greatly beloved. Therefore, consider the matter and understand the vision." 
Seventy weeks are determined for your people and for your holy city to finish the transgression, to make an end of sin, to make reconciliation for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy and to anoint the most holy. Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince, there shall be seven weeks and sixty-two weeks. The street shall be built again and the wall even in troublesome times. And after the sixty-two weeks, Messiah shall be cut off, but not from himself. And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. The end of it shall be a flood. Until the end of the war, desolations are determined. Then he shall confirm a covenant with many for one week. But in the middle of the week, he shall bring an end to the sacrifice and offering. And on the wing of abominations shall be one who makes desolate, even until the consummation which is determined is poured out on the desolate. So angels have also brought revelation to man. And of course, this is a revelation of the end of time and of the Antichrist coming. And Gabriel himself was dispatched for the purpose of bringing clarity to Daniel's thoughts. We also have Jesus' life and teaching, and we have the miraculous acts of God uh, demonstrated in Scripture. What's, what's amazing about John is that John gave us a, a gospel, and he says, by reading these things, it's sufficient to bring salvation. Uh, John chapter 20, verse 30 through 31. And truly Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. What an awesome claim of our apostle that he would say, if you read what I provided you by the Holy Spirit, it is enough to bring salvation to you. We read of seven miraculous acts, and John just simply says, this is enough. It's enough for the believer that if you read these, that you would come to Christ. The miraculous acts of God are recorded in Scripture. And of course, we're talking about the Red Sea. We're talking about many other miracles. These are things that we believe because we're believers in Christ and we have the Holy Spirit within us. But yet, if we read the Scriptures, we we see how God wanted to reveal Himself. He has revealed Himself through all the many things that He's written in His Word. The first miracle was creation. He showed you how that happened. He showed you the the miracle of life. He showed you the miracle uh, of of bringing salvation to us through giving us his word. Uh, Thousands of years ago, he gave us his word. He gave us his truth. And then he told you that he would bring about his son, bringing bringing the seed to come and save us. So these miracles are unique moments when God reveals himself in his power. In most cases, a miracle is an unusually powerful work of God that amazes people. It reveals God, and it authenticates His revelation and the revelation bearer. Miracles were used to confirm what God was was wanting to speak to the people. And certainly, uh, Moses made his... Even so, if you look at the life of Moses, right? He crossed him over the Red Sea, yet they complained on the other side. They were getting plenty of man in the morning, and they wanted quail. We, we can be people who never trust God. We can be people who act as if God isn't trying to work in our lives and that He is not, has not showed Himself to us. But the most important, the most important aspect of, of God's revelation to us is that He's promised in His Word. In John chapter 10, He's promised this. Uh, chapter 10, verse 22 through tw- uh, 30. Now it was the Feast of Dedication in Jerusalem, and it was winter. And Jesus walked in the temple in Solomon's porch. Then the Jews surrounded him and said to him, How long do you keep us in doubt? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness of me. But you do not believe, because you are not of my sheep, as I said to you. 
My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. We are assured that we are going to hear the voice of Christ. And the result of that hearing is that we're obeying and that we're keeping His commandments. And so the special revelation that we have given, been given is for us to search His Word and obey Him in the words that He's given us. And that is a great example of our salvation. He speaks to us by His Son, and His Word is sufficient to keep us. We all have a, the, the issue with these, uh, these arguments of ontological or cosmological is that man has a problem with sin, and its effect was so great that it can't be ignored. Right? We have a situation in our hearts that is not right. And we have to do something with it. And God is leading us and pointing us to His Son. And so we have a great blessing as as believers in Christ to have been given special revelation and to hopefully to share that with others so that they might too also hear the gospel and hear the truth of God's Word. And I'm done. That That is all I got. What do you guys want to do next? Any questions? I don't know what's after this here. No. Okay. Yes. I, I assume that uh, it'd be correct to say that special revolution, revelation stopped at the end of the chapter of Re- Revelation. Right? The general uh, revelation continues. General revelation continues. Special revelation in the form of uh, in the form of having other men hear from God is finished. We, have, we still have personal revelation. We still have the ability of God saving, saving believers. In the time of the tribulation, there's going to be a lot of miracles, and there's going to be a lot of, of revelation that goes back kind of to the old way. Dreams and visions will, will happen. It, uh, in Joel, we talk about a time during the, the Millennial Kingdom where uh, young men are seeing visions and young, uh, young women are they're dreaming dreams. But we also have this 144,000 men who are going to begin preaching the gospel. So, to what extent do they know that their calling is there? I, I, I won't be able to speak to that. I, I would have, I'd be speculating. I don't want to speculate. But there will, will there be miraculous signs and will be, there will be wonders again? There will be during the tribulation period, according to the book of Revelation. And there will also be angels that fly across the, the sky and proclaim the, kingdom, the coming of the kingdom of God. So, there will be a lot. It will be a different time for those, those last three and a half years. So that will be special revelation. Will it be special? It will. It will bring. It will bring. It will bring salvation. What we have in the Bible, we have to. We have to accept it if it doesn't contradict what the Bible proclaims, right? We have to accept. What do we need to? Well, like if we see an angel flying across the sky, if it, if it's not heresy. Good question. So that that is there is a there is a, a warning during this time that many antichrists have come into to come into the world. There's many false signs. So the antichrist is even uh, described in Thessalonians as bringing false wonders. So at this time, if we were to see an angel fly across the sky, I'm going to let Jay answer that question. <laughs> 
Yeah, because it's kind of like with alien, you know, UFOs, right? We, they're unidentified flying objects, and so we kind of leave it in their own special class. Um, we, as children of God, in His Word, know that we're going to hear His voice. So I would say, we that a believer in Christ has a has a can have confidence that they will hear from God and that they will respond properly to His Word. That's how I would respond to that because I'm not sure how big the deception could be because by definition a deception is deceiving. There are many, many in this world that are already deceived by these signs, by seeing Mary places and by seeing crosses and by by believing that Yahweh is you know a created thing. And so how would we how would we define that? They don't have that special revelation that God is the God of the Bible is the God that would save them. But in in for for those in the tribulation, I might answer, I might answer it this way: for those in the tribulation, they'll have this word, and everything in that book will be coming to pass, and they'll be able to know that the time is short because they'll have His word. We also have the two witnesses, and they're performing miracles as well, and that will be a revelation of God again, and a, pre, a proclaim, proclamation of the Bible, of of the God of the Bible, of the coming of of the Lord. Answer, answer that question? That's a tough one. Yeah, because what would we do today if we saw an angel going across the, the, the sky? I, I would hope that there was a trumpet and you and I were all hitting, we're all going together. I mean, that's really the next sign. The deception's coming after the rapture. We don't get, a, we don't, from my knowledge of Scripture, I don't see a time during this period, during our, our lives now, during this time of grace, where we're, we're concerned about these miraculous gifts coming to, coming to pass in, in our eyes. Our next miraculous event will be the rapture of the church, according to Scripture. We don't get any other warnings other than watch out for false teachers, watch out for those that exploit you, watch out for you know people you know liars and, and thieves and those things. Uh, that's why this the, you know the the healing movement that, that that took place for you know the last 20, 30 years and these the word of faith those those were just things that were that were made up in many cases completely made up and and so the believer looking at that says. Wow, that, I wish that were true. I can, I can remember being a young man. Oh, I wish that God would continue to heal and heal and heal. And yet you find out that they, weren't, they were lying. They were, they were false. They were fakes. And so you, did God heal some people? Absolutely. Likely. Um, but to the extent that he used a man gifted by the Holy Spirit, that, that's not something we, we hold to. But there will be a day when the two witnesses do miracles and... It will be signs, and they'll even want those two. two uh, they'll even want them dead. So there, there, there would likely be a lot of preaching of the gospel and the repentance for the coming king. That was a tough question. Any other ones that are less tough? <laughs> kind of have to go through all scripture and kind of spend a moment thinking, what would you do? I don't know. Scripture doesn't give us doesn't give us like warnings other than to watch for men who are trying to deceive us and exploit us and take it take advantage of us and preach another gospel preach another truth now that's our that's our concern that's why we're we're in bti that's why we hear the preached word from from our shepherds so that we would be able to discern from right you know from truth and not truth what's really scary at least to me and not a whole lot scares me is the number of people in churches Pastors that are complete phonies. They've been, in a lot of cases, exposed several times, in some cases arrested, and they keep bouncing back. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I watched the thing the other day that it was put on by, it was not a Christian, a 
that, that made it, evidently, but he was just showing the 50 top ones. And some of the top ones were some of the richest people, you know, in yeah. the United States. Yeah. Our, our hope, my hope for my children, when, I, when, we, when we talk to them and we tell them about the Word of God, is that we, we reinforce that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God, 2 Timothy 3.16. We teach them that believers hear the voice of God and they obey His commandments. They love the church. They love the body. They don't take advantage of folks. Romans 12 is really our example of how, what a believer looks like. And we prefer others. We love the body of Christ. And so what we're looking for is, uh, what we're looking for in the life of believers is, is your heart changed? And do you, do you also agree and believe what Scripture says? And can you obey it? And can you follow it? And so that's our encouragement to our family, uh, is that we would keep, keep the word that we know, that we would obey the commands that we have been given by Christ. That demonstrates that we hear His voice. Demonstrates that we won't be deceived because we will we'll follow him. Um, I used to think as a young man that those things were true, and now I realize they're not. I'm grateful that God has has showed me through growth and through uh, maturity and just through life experience. Uh, he's he's grown, helped grow me and humble me, and to realize, well, I, ha- I didn't have everything right, and uh, these men were exploiting others, and I now re- see that. And so our hope now is to preach the word of God. And like Van was bringing up, what, you know, what do we do when these things happen? And would we, would we say they're real? Um, we would still hold the scripture regardless of what we see. Um, because now we have things and we have a deception coming that is so strong that even, even the elect might be deceived. I and mean, that's, that's a, a severe warning to, to realize, let's be ready. Uh, let's be ready. Uh, yesterday, uh, I was reminded in First uh, John, you know, there are little, the, anti, the big Antichrist, the big A Antichrist is coming. But John, John tells us uh, in First in John chapter 2, verse 18, Little children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard, that the Antichrist is coming. That's the big A. Even now, many Antichrists, little A, have come, by which we know that it is the last hour. They went, they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest that none of them were of us. But you have the anointing from the Holy One and you know and you have all things. King James says, you know all things. The other translation is you have knowledge. We are, we are blessed to know that we see that, that men will come and false prophets and false teachers will come and they'll leave. They'll leave the fellowship of the, of the saints. They'll leave the fellowship of, of the scripture that we enjoy together with the apostles and with Christ. And we, we know that they weren't, weren't of us because they didn't stay. They didn't, they didn't remain with us. And John gives us this comfort. But you have the anointing of the Holy One. So our, my response, maybe my second response to Dan's question about what, what if we see things? What if we know things? What if we, we see things that appear real? We still have scripture. And we still have truth. And we have the anointing to keep us. And that is a great blessing. It's a great benefit we have in Christ. And then John says again in First uh, John two twenty seven, the anointing which you have received from him abides in you, and you do not need that anyone teach you, but as the same anointing teaches you concerning all things, and is true, and is not a lie, just as it has been taught you, you will abide in him. We have a promise in First John two twenty seven that we will know the truth, and that we will remain in it and keep in it. Well, thank you all for the opportunity to share this lesson with you. Uh, let's close in prayer and uh, get ready for the, the main worship service. Heavenly Father, thank you for this day that you have given us, and we thank you for your word. Thank you for revealing to us your Son. Thank you for uh, giving us 
uh, a revelation of yourself that brought salvation to our lives through your word and through your truth, through your Holy Spirit. I pray today that you would remind us of your goodness to us, that you would uh, go with us throughout the rest of this morning, realizing that we have been saved from our sin, that we, that we were sinners in need of salvation, that we had violated your holy will, and that you sent your Son to, to bring us salvation. Thank you for his shed blood on the cross. Thank you for showing him to us. And thank you for revealing uh, that Christ is our Lord and Savior and us receiving him as as such. We thank you for this day that you've given and we look forward to to being together now in in, in formal worship. And we thank you uh, for the time to be together. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.